Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains adult language, is intended for adults, and should be consumed by adults. If you let your children listen to this, it's on you. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 10th, the cordially uninvited edition. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, host of Slate's The Kids Are Asleep evening chat show, and Mom to Naima, who is seven and we live in Los Angeles, California. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles. Henry, who's eight, Oliver, who's six, and Teddy, who's four, and I live in Navarre, Florida. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 15, and Harper, who's 13, and we all live in Arlington, Virginia. This week, we have a question about disinviting someone from a holiday celebration, which is always a tricky predicament to be in. And then we're going to be talking about age-appropriate reading, what to do if your kid is reading stuff that seems inappropriate. And did you give your kid inappropriate stuff to read because you thought it was cool and maybe thought they were a little bit more mature than they actually are? Or is that just me? And on our Slate Plus bonus segment, a listener has come to the defense of one Jeff Newcamp's allegedly bad (laughs) gift giving abilities. Jeff Newcamp, of course, being the husband of our Elizabeth Newcamp. We will be very interested to hear what this listener had to say in defense of Jeff's (laughs) gift giving. And we're also going to be talking about the worst gifts that we ourselves the hosts have given and received so if you are a slate plus supporter thank you so much uh you get to hear that extra goodness and as always we have triumphs and fails and recommendations for all the rest of you in gen pop let's get started elizabeth do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week so i have a triumph so last week i was just feeling like all of the like momness and just like couldn't get away from my family and i was trying to figure out like what could I do during the pandemic to make myself like feel better or what would I do? So anyway, I decided that what I needed was like a proper date night. And I got together with a girlfriend who lives in Atlanta virtually. And we decided to like have a real date night playing this um, board game we love called Somify, which is like a wine tasting board game that walks you through blind wine tasting. So we had her husband is a beer and wine distributor. So we had someone from his company call in four wines to a liquor store near them and four wines to Wine World here in Fort Walton. The nice part is with the game, you don't have to have the exact same wine because finding the exact same wine in um, the Panhandle of Florida and in the city of Atlanta is difficult, but all you need is kind of like a Chardonnay from the same area, like same type of wine. We had a really great time. Like we zoomed and each person takes a turn being the like sommelier and you play this board game. And at the end, you like get to guess what the wine is, region, all of that. And you've made a guess at the beginning, too. And it was just so fun. The kids were asleep. It felt like we just had this night out. You know, the only thing better would have been being in person. But it just felt like this really great 
break. And I think it was because we had to do like prep work for the day. It wasn't just like, let's Zoom with our friends or let's do this thing. We had like a proper, put some effort into it and have a really nice, really nice night. So I'm feeling good from that. It's my win. That's, That's a good. Huge I can't win. stress enough how useful it is to like have an activity for yeah. any like get together with people remotely. It really, I love really activities. helps. That is very helpful. I after watching one of Naima's dads pull off a Zoom birthday party with kids, like and keeping them actively engaged for like three hours, I realized that we grown-ups have no excuses, but I wish I was as good as coming up with these things as you are, Elizabeth. Where did you get this from? Sonify. So they had okay, like a Kickstarter, well, but now they're just like, you can just buy the board game and it's super fun. And you can use okay. any wines. <laughs> we will make sure we link to it in the show notes because that sounds like all of the fun. And it definitely sounds like my cruise brand of a good time. Yeah, it was great. Certain. It was so great. <laughs> what about you, Dan? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I have a fail from the summer, which I learned from which led to a triumph last weekend. Uh, And it's also board game related, interestingly. So the fail revolved around a game called Pandemic. It is a much beloved board game that is like a little bit complicated, but comes very highly recommended by people I know who love board games. Slate has recommended it in a number of different pieces. And this summer, when we had sort of gone through all the games we had, and I was on the lookout for something new, I bought it, even though it seemed like a little bit daunting. It's like, you know, it's a complicated game in which you and everyone else playing are like researchers trying to prevent a pandemic from sweeping over the world. And I know that that seems maybe unfortunately timely, but Slate even ran a piece about how satisfying it was to play pandemic and stop a pandemic in this time of actual pandemicization in the world. So I got everyone together. We started playing, it's like 9 p.m. one night, and, you know, I just pulled the board out and sat us all down, and I was like, all right, well, we'll figure out how to play this, and let me look at the directions, and we'll all figure it out together. And it turned out that was a terrible idea. The game was way too complicated, <laughs> and it just took forever for me to figure it out, and it was confusing, and we kept doing things wrong, and then doubling back, and the kids were like, oh, this is so boring, and they were so tired, because we started too late. And then, I don't know if you guys know this, but the pandemic... It's a cooperative game, which is good in theory. Like I have often recommended cooperative games on the show because there's no one winner or loser. Everyone wins or loses together. Except also the problem is that the the game is impossible. (laughs) So after an hour and a half of everyone being tired and annoyed and confused, we all lost. The (laughs) pandemic overtook the earth and we lost. So fast forward to last weekend, I got another new game called Root. And it looks really cute and fun. It's like a role-playing game set in a forest, a cartoon forest, where you can be the birds or the raccoons or whatever you want, and you're like battling it out with other animals for control of the forest. And I tell everyone, all right, we're going to you know meet at eight for game night tonight. But I sit down at like seven <laughs> to start reading the instructions and punching the little pieces out of the cardboard and assembling everything and setting up the board and getting all the cards together. And it's extremely complicated, this game. And by like 8.45, I still barely understand the rules. So the triumph is that I punted. I just put Root back in the box and I vowed to figure it out later, some future date. 
and play it at like two in the afternoon someday when we have lots of time and the kids can just eat <laughs> snacks all the way through. And instead we just played a rummy cube. So for now, my triumph is that I've saved us from uh, having another expensive, exciting game fucked up forever that we'll never play. Uh, so that is my triumph, learning from past mistakes. That is, One could that argue is that the real triumph would have been not buying the expensive, complicated game, but we'll see. <laughs> I just want to know like, how dispiriting it must have been to lose pandemic during it, pandemic. It really sucked. We just, at the end of the game, it's just the globe covered in like little cubes that represent disease. <laughs> and like every city in the world was full of disease. It was our fault. Yeah. It was very dispiriting. I've since heard from other people uh, that they find pandemic, the most frustrating game in the world. Funny enough, my triumph this week is also board game related. So Whoa. we've got a home run here. <laughs> so I've talked before uh, about Naima's brother coming to visit us. Um, obviously, he's part of our little pod. He Naima divides her time between both households. And every so often, lately we've been doing this like almost every Friday or two Fridays out the month. Naima's brother, who is five, will come spend the night at my house. And we have fun. On Friday evening, I get them something to eat. We get up on Saturday, play around, uh, maybe some games. That's pretty much it. And then I take them back to Naima's father's house. And so Naima's dad, Naima's, excuse me, younger brother and I have always had kind of an interesting relationship. Um, and I'm not going to talk too, too much about him because he's not my child, obviously, but he's a very wonderful kid. He's sweet. He's smart. He's funny. But, you know, I am a person who comes into, you know, sometimes his home and takes his, you know, built in best friend away from him at times. And so it, it's, we have a kind of complicated thing, you know, like he's sometimes been a little shy and, you know, it, it's taken some years for us to really kind of have a relationship beyond just kind of like high and by. And, you know, I've tried, but I understand, you know, that this is a, a lot for a kid to, you know, who, who didn't sign up for it to have to deal with. And, you know, I get it. And I definitely think they like him coming into my home on a regular basis. And now that he comes in and gets in my car and, you know, I pick him up and take him places and stuff like something is shifting with us. But we had like the sweetest bonding moment. So we were um, playing board games on last weekend on Saturday. We played The Floor is Lava, which I've uh, I think I recommended a few weeks ago, which is a very fun game. And we played Yogurt which is a game that combines pirates and yoga for some reason. And it's super silly, but he and I just found this groove in the game playing. And, you know, we were following the rules and Naima was being a little obstinate and had a few dramatic diva moments where she stormed out on us. And we looked at each other kind of like, oh, that's Naima, <laughs> you know? Uh, and we really bonded and it was super, super <laughs> lovely. And then later when the kids had lunch, I taught him how to twirl spaghetti on his fork and he was really into it. Naima like couldn't be bothered because she was way too busy just kind of like shoveling it in her mouth as quickly as she could. It was cool. You know, I mean, he, he's been in my life for, you know, quite some time and I love him and I care about him, you know, but I, again, I, I understand that we're not, you know, auntie and nephew and this can be a little tricky sometimes. And I know there have been times where he's seen me, you know, come to the door and his face just changes because it's like, so Naima's going to leave now, you know? Um, and I think there certainly have been other, as he gets older, I'm sure there'll be times where he'll be like, whoo, finally get her out of here, you know? But, um, 
But that's my little bud, and we had a very <laughs> nice time. So uh, cheers to all of us for uh, our various engagement with board games. That's a very sweet story, Jamila. Thank you. I know that's Thank lovely. You. He's a he's a cool kid. They're they're great together. They are very 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 funny children. Uh, but moving right along, let's get into some business. In Slate Plus, we'll be dishing about the worst gifts we've ever received. Here's a sneak peek of what you'll hear if you are a Slate Plus member. We couldn't do anything with them. We didn't have anything at 23 you could put in a crystal bowl. <laughs> One of them was from Tiffany's, and we tried taking it back to the Tiffany store in Tyson's <laughs> Corner. And they were like, do you have a receipt? They're like, nope. no, no, it was a wedding gift. And they're like, they didn't give you a gift receipt? They're like, no. And they're like, well, we're not taking this back. So here's segments like that. And to get ad-free podcasts, sign up, you guys, for Slate Plus. It's just $35 in your first year. It's a great way to support all your favorite Slate podcasts. And you will not hit a paywall on the site so you can keep up with all of Slate's great journalism. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to Slate.com backslash Mom and Dad Plus and join Slate Plus today. Also, tune into my Slate live show, The Kids Are Asleep. Tonight, I'll be talking to rapper, actor, and The Wire alum, Brandon Young, who also happened to be my very ill-fated college crush, which is a sad story, uh, sad and funny. I'll hopefully get to tell it tonight. So be sure to listen in tonight, Thursday night, every Thursday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. If you can't catch it live or if you want to watch previous shows, go to Slate's YouTube and Facebook pages or check it out at Slate.com slash live. Also sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified about everything Slate publishes about parenting, including mom and dad are fighting, the kids are asleep, ask a teacher, Karen feeding, and much more. Plus it is a fun, very personal email from Dan each week. So sign up at slate.com backslash parenting email. Finally, if you want to talk with other parents, and so often some of us find ourselves in need of other parents to talk to outside of our bubbles, join our parenting Facebook group. It's super active. It's well moderated. It doesn't get out of control. Everyone's pretty pleasant. Go to Facebook and search for Slate Parenting and join the crew. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Now let's get into our listener question. Uh, our first listener question, rather, which is being read as always by the fabulous Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad, we've been bubbling since the summer with a close friend and her son. The child's in my son's learning pod at school and they're close, so it seemed like a reasonable risk. That said, my family is not particularly low risk for exposure because my spouse works in a busy ER. Aside from school and my spouse's job, we're very careful and my friend knows the risks. We invited her to spend Christmas with us at a large chalet we rented last February, which was meant as a place for my large family to gather, obviously not happening this year, but we're still on the hook for the rental. My friend said yes, and we've been happily making plans. Yesterday, she told me that she wanted to divide her time between us and another family over the holiday. In addition to being disappointed and a little hurt that she's reneging on our plans, I'm not at all comfortable with potentially spreading COVID to this other family. 
To me, it seems highly irresponsible for my friend to risk exposing these people just for the sake of spending what will essentially amount to one day in the country with us. I realize it's not up to me to control her behavior, but I truly feel like telling her that I'm not comfortable being part of these plans and that she should simply stay with these other friends and that she'll have to quarantine before rejoining our bubble. Would I be a massive jerk if I disinvited my friend and her son under these circumstances? Thanks. Oh, what a dilly of a pickle in the chalet. What do you think, Elizabeth? One of the things that we have always talked about with pods is the importance of honesty. And so I think that, one, it's, like, very important that she thank her friend for continuing to be honest. But on that vein of honesty, I think it is perfectly appropriate that in your pod for you to say, I'm not comfortable with what's happening, and therefore we don't get to continue doing this for whatever period of time that looks like. Like, I guess I just think all of the etiquette rules about disinviting people and who can come to things or like you, you know, you extended an invitation and now you want to take it back are kind of out the window, like pandemic trumps, all of that. If you are not comfortable with what's happening, then I think it is okay to say like, this is, this is just not a good arrangement. You know, I had envisioned that this would be kind of our pods Christmas and we don't want to expose other people. So I think it's best that you not come. And I really think in this time, like this sounds like a good friend, like she came to you to tell you her plan, I would think that she will be okay with that. But I do think the sooner you do it, the better so that she can rethink her plans or think about, you know, what she's doing too, in terms of like going to multiple places and her risk. And I think, of course, if if your rule is that she quarantines before rejoining the bubble, which seems prudent, like you should make sure to let her know that that is your expectation as well. So I just think there's no being a jerk in a pandemic. As long as you're kind about the way that you express how you feel, you're good to go. Yeah, this woman came to you for this exact reason, because she knew that this breaks the rules of the pod, and she wanted to tell you that and to and to allow you to make a decision about what you want. And it's very clear what you want, which is a totally appropriate and reasonable thing to want. So there's absolutely no reason for you to make this decision and convey this decision to this friend. I like the idea that there's no being a jerk about stuff like this in a pandemic, as long as you're conveying it in a kind and respectful way. There are rules. You've been really clear about the rules. The rules have really worked up till now. And now is certainly not the time to go changing those rules. And you're within your rights. And in fact, within her expectations to make this decision and clearly convey this decision. And you shouldn't feel guilty about it even a little bit. I agree with my cohorts here. And I add that I suspect that this person and her family maybe want a break from the pod for Christmas. They want to spend time with someone else, which of course does violate the rules of the pod. But as Dan said, she made a point of telling you this because she recognizes that. And so I I think the only thing to do is to politely explain that it wouldn't be appropriate for her to join you all for a day and that you hope she has a really good time. And after she and her son take the time to quarantine, you'll happily welcome them back into the pod. Case closed. Thank you so much. Uh, Travel safely and good luck with that conversation. It shouldn't be too awkward because I think she knows exactly what's going on here. If I had a gavel, I would pound it on the desk right now. (laughs) Yes. 
That is a rare consensus yep. from the three of us means you have no other course of action but to do. What yeah, you're actually legally do. required to. Them's yep. the rules, baby. Good luck to you. Let us know how it goes. So if you are a listener with a chalet quandary of your own that you'd like for us to solve, please send us an email at slate.com or do what this listener did and post it in the Slate Parenting Facebook group. I'm going to friend this listener on Facebook so that I too can pot away in the chalet. LA. Maybe they're outside of California somewhere. That would be really nice. In this listener's defense, I believe she is from Canada, where yes. chalet, yes. I think, is sometimes what they just call like a house rental, in the mountains, like a, like a cabin. I know. Yes. The spelling of the word behavior gets yeah, yeah, that yeah. away, but I'm still excited to say chalet. So I'm going to keep doing I'm just waiting to finally meet someone who has a chateau so I can be invited to their yes. chateau. You have to like meet chateau mm. people and then like, write an entire book about that so which means that they have to like put you up for a year and those how to be a family in a chateau can't wait yeah. all right and i think how to be a family in a chateau should be a podcast called mom and dad are fighting which means that we all have to go to the chateau, mom and dad are fighting in a chateau. i love it <laughs> all right so let's get into our second listener question which is once again being read by the unparalleled shasha leonard dear mom and dad I recently found out that my husband downloaded a book for my 10-year-old son, an avid reader, that has many adult themes, pornography, sex, masturbation, and profanities. While the book has a fun sci-fi plot that my son was excited about, I looked it up on Common Sense Media, which made me feel uncomfortable. Some reviewers believed it should only be appropriate for 18 and older. While I believe that may be an exaggeration, I'm torn about what is and what is not appropriate for a 10-year-old. I have very open conversations with him about sex, but have not gotten into the nitty-gritty bits about pornography or discussed masturbation with him yet. Just because he can read the book, does it mean that he should be reading about themes he may not fully understand? Should I be screening all content that he can access while I still have some control over what he can and cannot do both on and offline? Thank you. Dan, what do you think? You have an elderly That's children, right. so you have some experience in this regard. Well, first of all, congratulations to this listener for her husband choosing what I am 99% sure is Ready Player One by Ernest Klein for her son. It fits exactly this description of this book. And when you go to Common Sense Media, the first thing you see is a very outraged parent being like, 18 plus, it's much too dirty for teenagers. <laughs> I have a steadfast rule, and I've discussed this on the show before. There is definitely such a thing as inappropriate TV. There's definitely such a thing as inappropriate movies and music and websites, for God's sake. But short of straight up penthouse forum letters, I strongly believe there's no such thing as an inappropriate book that a child discovers and reads. I think a lot of people ha have the experience as children of stumbling on something in your parents' library or in the school library or at a neighbor's house and, you know, ending up being whatever, a 12-year-old reading Clan of the Cave Bear or, um, or in my case, 10-year-old uh, reading Clive Cussler books in which Dirk Pitt has sex with like a dozen ladies and every minor character gets blown up by a missile. And in all those cases, I think like universally the experience is you got a little bit of the book, you didn't get a lot of the book, but the experience was like 
thrilling and made you feel sophisticated and adult and did positively no damage to you whatsoever long-term. Like the experience was about reading, not about turning you into a different person than you would have been otherwise. In general, I just don't think that your child, you know, reading Ready Player One or whatever this book is, is going to like traumatize him or do anything other than maybe get him excited about reading more, more and more sophisticated books. Now, this is like a little bit different because it's not a book that he discovered on his own. It's a book that your husband chose for him. And so it comes with a kind of imprimatur from the parent. And that might sort of create a little bit of confusion down the line about what your child thinks you think he is ready for. And I think it's worth discussing with your husband. Well, what are the things we want him to read? What are the books we think are worth recommending to him? And in cases like that, I often think it's worthwhile to if not pre-read the book, to do a little research so that you have a really firm grasp on what it is that you're handing the kid and saying, I, the parent, recommend this thing. Because you probably only have a really limited amount of time left in this kid's life before he's going to start completely disregarding any recommendations you make anyway. So why not make the most of that time and try to get him really good stuff, stuff that is developmentally appropriate appropriate to his reading level, appropriate to the lessons you want him to learn, and maybe, dare I say it, better than Ready Player One, uh, a legitimately bad book. <laughs> our family read-alouds have always been kind of geared more towards our oldest child, and I certainly don't make our youngest, I mean, we're still only dealing with an eight-year-old, but like, I don't worry about a lot of the things in, let's say, Harry Potter that I think could be very scary and are scary to the little ones when they're in a movie. They're not that scary in a book or not that inappropriate in a book because it's, you know, their imagination is kind of limited to their own world experience. I kind of honed in on this question about her screening all the content, and I guess I feel it should be less about screening content to be the gatekeeper and more about screening content so that you know and can engage your kids on what they're encountering. So going there and figuring out that like, okay, my child is going to be reading about pornography, sex, masturbation, or whatever it is, right? Then I can be there to guide those conversations and be prepared for those conversations. And if anything, these are conversations that uh, like people write in and ask like, well, how do I have these with kids? Like the best way to have this would be if they read about it and came to you and asked about it, right? Like, and you were prepared for it. Like this seems like an ideal situation in that you know what they've encountered and what they're asking you about and you're able able to answer them in a way in which you're not like reaching for things because you're caught off guards. And I agree with you about the like your husband essentially endorsed this. And there definitely needs to be some kind of conversation about like how did you I, I would just love to hear like your husband handed a book to your child and now you're concerned about that book like that maybe should have taken place um, prior to your child getting the book. And if you remove the book now, I think there's like a whole nother thing, right? right? Like that your judgment is better than your husband's judgment, all of that. So that's something that needs to be worked out about what kind of media. But I think in general, it's it's okay to have your kids, particularly when they're reading, exposed to these things and using those as jumping off points. And I don't see a lot of problems with, with this in particular. I agree with you both. You know, like kids 
at 10 for sure are coming across themes of pornography, sex and masturbation and profanity in, you know, a number of places, despite your best efforts to protect them or, or to filter what they're taking in. You don't just jump from the sort of book that uh, you all have described. You don't go from like the boxcar kids to that. Right. So I'm imagining that your child has been introduced to another adult theme, violence, probably extensively at this point. Right. Like I would imagine if he's uh, interested in this particular book that, you know, it's not his first time around the provocative content block is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, as Dan Elizabeth have said, it would be better for him to encounter those sort of themes through quality literature, right? Through books that you would be enthusiastic about him reading where he can learn and stretch and grow and have a meaningful experience as opposed to only hearing them on the playground when the playground opens back up, right? Or, or through secondhand through some other child's interpretation of these themes because they're reading the book and that will happen. And so one, doing what Elizabeth said and taking that time to be prepared for those conversations beforehand, I think is essential. But two, I think at 10, it's time to recognize that even if your son wasn't taking an interest in, you know, books like this or, you know, films or TV shows that are getting into porn and sex, you know, all things sex, he's at the age where you should be talking about those things, right? And you said that you've had open conversations about sex, but you haven't really gotten into pornography and masturbation, but porn can really distort a young person's idea of sexuality if they are not given the tools to have some context about it. So like, you wouldn't want to have to go back after your son has been familiar with pornography for a couple years and then explain that like, this is not what sex typically looks like and that these are paid actors and that some of the things that, you know, happen in pornography are really uncomfortable and wouldn't be considered, you know, appropriate under most circumstances. And that, you know, uh, there's a there's a reason that we don't consume it when we're 10 or 11 or 12, right? Um, and what that reason is. I, I mean, yes, while you still have some control over what he can access, you absolutely should take in as much of his content before he can or as he does as possible, right? Like you want to be prepared for what to talk about what he's saying. You want him to have context and understanding. Uh, these are all themes that it'd be great if your husband was writing to us about because he's the one who put the book in this child's innocent hands, took away the Bernstein Bears, and gave him um, <laughs> Who Framed Roger Rabbit or whatever this book is that you're talking about. But I, I think the two of you need to collaborate on this. And some of those, some parts of that conversation might be more comfortable for dad to have with him one-on-one uh, without you, but it needs to happen soon. This is all very good advice. The one thing I want to come back to is this avid reader you have who clearly is looking for stuff to engage his brain and the unique and wonderful position you and your husband are in right now in the last couple of years where your recommendations really are going to be taken seriously. And also, as your son almost certainly is going to be consciously expanding his reading palette beyond the stuff that you recommend or the teachers recommend, uh, looking for stuff that feels a little bit more sophisticated and more, if not against the rules, then outside the boundaries. And so you have a really great opportunity here to help your son find really good books better than Ready Player One. I apologize if it's not Ready Player One. I mean, this is like so cheesy, but like to leave 
books around the house or on your bookshelves that you remember being formative in that way for you as a reader or that your husband remembers being formative for that way for him as a reader, as a young reader and letting your child come to those all on his own. Avid readers find their way to all the good books in a house. That's just the way that it works. And so think of your whole house as uh, as a kind of exploratorium for this kid and not in a way that should be frightening to you, but in a way that should be exciting that he has this whole world opening up to him and you have the chance to influence it in some way and embrace the conversations that can come out of it, both the literary ones and the ones about different kinds of life experiences as they're reflected in these books. To echo something Dan, you said in your first comment, don't assume that these themes are going to be the most resonant or even fascinating for him uh, in this book, or, or that even with your explanation that he'll truly understand or, or you know, that this will be where his focus yeah. lies. You know, it may just be that, you know, this is clutter and you, you know, okay, I get it. You know, it might be like, yuck, I don't want to deal with this right now. Um, I just want to get back to the lasers and the talking monkeys or whatever's happening in this book. Again, three-way tie, not only can you not take this book away from your child, you have to explain all the things in it to him. And your husband has to be a part of this conversation. I personally wish I could read the version of Ready Player One that Jamila has invented over the course of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on in this book. There's a lot. Thank you, letter writer, for listening. And hopefully our three-way judgment is helpful to you. Other listeners, if you'd like for us to weigh in on your problems or questions with no judgment, of course, please send them our way. Shoot us an email at slate.com. Now, before we move on to recommendations, we have a quick listener update. We love these. We want more of them. So at the end of October, we took on a question about a nine-year-old boy who was friends with these two girls next Next door. So to recap, the older girl had been teasing him about his body. There was a situation in which the two kids were discovered in a state of partial undress, and it seemed consensual. Uh, but when these two kids would play in a group of children in the neighborhood and there was some sort of disagreement between them, the girl would threaten to tell the other kids about this playing around in a state of partial undress. So the kids' parents decided that these two should not play together. But the biggest problem was that the young man was very close to the little sister of the girl who he'd been playing with uh, in a state of partial undress. So now he'd lost his primary buddy and he didn't really have too many kids to play with in the neighborhood now. He felt ostracized by the group as a result of this uh, falling out and the decision of their parents to separate them. So in the follow-up email, the listener says that her son has stopped playing outside with the neighborhood kids. If the girls are there, he just will not go. He's doing remote learning, so he doesn't see the other kids too much uh, right now. And after weeks of not really hearing from the neighbor mom, the letter writer finally got a chance to speak to her, to the mom of the two girls. And so the original problem hasn't yet been addressed, but the neighbor mom finally said that it's okay if the little boy rejoins the friend group. And so there was a big neighborhood bonfire recently and little boy went and he had a great time with his friends. So he has um, finally been 
allowed back into the circle of trust after this mean older girl bullied him and body shamed him. So things are looking up. We're glad to hear that he's able to play outside and have fun with his friends again. And we're going to put a link to the original episode in the show notes. So if you want to hear the original question and advice, uh, please check them out. And thank you so much, Letter Writer, for your update. Again, we're glad to hear your son is doing well, even though me, myself, personally, I kind of um, wanted the older girl to be sanctioned for how she treated him but hopefully she's grown out of that and everybody's having a good old time and being safe and being friends again and everyone we really do love hearing updates so please send them to us whenever you have them and we will be happy to share this was a good update though very slightly unsatisfying and that at no point did the mean older girl just melt into a puddle of goo but I guess you can't have everything. If this were the novel that I pictured in my head for <laughs> the last letter, she absolutely would have melted into a puddle of goo. That's right. For sure. With a laser. Shot at her by a monkey. Before we get out of here, we're going to do recommendations. Let's start with you, Dan. What do you have for us this week? I'm recommending a comic, a graphic novel for young adults by an author named Sloan Leong. It's called A Map to the Sun. It came out last summer. Uh, it's a very cool YA story about a high school girl in LA and her long lost friend from Honolulu. They were friends in middle school, but then the friend moved away in a, in a way that really hurt her feelings. And now a couple of years later, she's back and they end up being rivals on their high school basketball team. It's a very smart book. It's very forthright on race. It's really beautifully drawn. I just love the look of this book. Um, we'll post a link on, in the show notes. I think any any avid reader, especially ones who like sports, high school or above, might really like this book. Once again, it's called A Map to the Sun. It's by Sloan Leong, and it's really good. That's lovely, Dan. What do you have, Elizabeth? I'm recommending participating in something called Operation Santa, if you are able. And this is actually run by the United States Postal Service. And basically, you can adopt a letter that someone has sent to Santa. And there is a way on there if you are someone who would like to participate and have your child send a letter, there's a link on the same webpage about how to do that. But if you're able, you actually can flip through letters and find one that um, kind of calls to you and adopt them and through um, online sending, send something to this person that has written into Santa. The letters are so charming and, and lovely. And it's a really good way in this time where you're not out and about and maybe aren't passing by a tree or a, you know, toys for tots kind of thing, donation box that you can do all of that from your home. We do do it as a family, like the kids, we pick a letter all together and are a secret Santa to someone kind of spreading the holiday joy. So this is all run through the United States Postal Service. And it's just the letters that get sent like when someone writes Santa on it and puts it in the box. So check it out, Operation Santa. I love that, Elizabeth. I just opened the link myself so I can sign up. I don't know how I didn't know about this, but I'm very excited to participate. So yes, everyone, if you're able, Operation Santa is a great way to help brighten the kids' uh, holiday season this year. So I am the absolute worst. My recommendation is coming after a conversation I had with Elizabeth yesterday. And I have been just so completely garbage and remiss in sharing with you all. Um, I am a... Just, I am a space cadet. I do not always connect the proper, you know, dots in my life. But my stepsister, who's a lovely woman, Zenobia Stevens, is the founder of the Black Adventure Crew. And 
she's been doing this really great work for the past couple of years. And I'll admit, I was late to the party. I didn't know. You know, we weren't raised together. Like, I love Zenobia. She's dope. Our our parents were together. My dad and her mother were together for many years. They're no longer together, but um, they're still good friends. And, you know, I've always had nothing but love for her and, and her siblings. Super sweet. She's my sorority sister. And, but, you know, we don't, we did not get a lot of time together. And so my dad had mentioned that she was doing this uh, thing to me. And I, you know, I meant to follow up on it. And when I finally did, I was like, oh my God. And I totally forgot about bringing her to the MDAF audience. But basically, she's got this really cool website and social media platform where she encourages all families, but black and brown families in particular, to get outside and engage with nature. And so she went from being a stay at home mom to a work from home mom. Um, like she's created this business. She's got um, a nonprofit called Black Kids Adventures uh, that helps to get Black kids outside. And she's one of the founders of Black Hikers Week, uh, which somebody mentioned to me recently and, you know, didn't know the connection between the two of us. And she has been DMing with uh, Elizabeth and, you know, she noticed that Elizabeth and I knew each other. And so anyway, um, please check out BlackAdventureCrew.com. They've got so many, like she's done live with Kelly and Ryan and, um, you know, a number of other pieces of press. I'd love to have her on the show at some point, but she's got a lot of really great tips and ideas for folks that want to get their families outside. And I will admit, as I'm a city, and she's from Chicago like I am, you know, I'm a city, but she's been in Alabama since she graduated from high school, and I've been a hardcore city girl. So as soon as I hear the words adventure and hiking and nature, I usually am like, oh, that's so nice, and I check out. But I'm really enthusiastic uh, about trying to get into doing some of this stuff that she's talking about here. And I'm grateful that Elizabeth reminded me that I'm like super behind in sharing her amazing work with you all. I was just like thrilled that two of my favorite people, because her and I have been sharing just like um, her feed on Instagram is like so joyful and full of these just like wonderful little tips for hiking with your kids. So I had messaged her a couple times and then we we had hiked in similar places and we're exchanging messages. So when last night she was like, how do you know Jamila? It was just like the best small world of these two wonderful people. But I cannot like just endorse everything you've said more. She is such a joy in the stuff that she puts out there. And and one other thing I want to mention is just she does such a good job of celebrating um, her husband as part of their group too and what he's mm-hmm. putting into the kids. And that in so many places is missed, especially by, I think, like us stay-at-home moms who are there kind of with the kids a lot. She does such a good job highlighting his role in her boys' lives as well. And I think that is just such a wonderful thing to see kind of coming across social media as well. What a great connection to make. And I love that recommendation. It's good to know, Jamila, that there's no greater advocate of black hiking than you, Jamila Lemia. (laughs) Now that I have gone on two hikes, I have, uh, I'm ready to take my place in the black hiking community. So I'm very grateful (laughs) to my stepsister, you know, men hike. So this might be a thing that I need to really get into. All right. So Finally, uh, before we get out of here, we have some exciting news. This year, we are inviting everyone in our families onto the mic for a very special holiday episode. It is going to be delightfully chaotic. Totally insane. Completely insane. All the partners, all the kids, everybody on the show together at once. And so we need a little something for you to make that happen. Do you have any questions for our beautiful children and the partners of us hosts, those who are partnered? Do you have recommendations for a partner for me that you would like to share? <laughs> we can also, t- we will totally take that as well. But for the holiday season show, we want questions 
for our children, for Dan's wife and Elizabeth's husband. We want you to participate. We want you to come to our holiday chateau pod. So send an email to mom and dad at slate.com and be part of the festivities. What have you always wanted to know about just what it is like to be stuck with me or to be declared a bad gift giver by your wife on a podcast? To be the subject of your parents' triumphs and fails and witty humor. I have questions for Lyra about searching her name (laughs) on the transcript of the (laughs) podcast. Primarily, how does she get to be so awesome? Because that is the best idea. You can't wait to answer that question. Well, it's going to be lots of fun. And that's our show. One more time, if you need advice from us, send us an email at slate.com or post it to the Slate Parenting Facebook group, which you can find by searching for Slate Parenting. Also, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. It helps us out tremendously, and it ensures that you will not miss a single episode. And if you want to be a part of our holiday party, send us a question to slate.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Elizabeth Newcamp and Dan Qua, I'm Jamila Lemieux.